was letting those words kind of sink in a little bit. No matter how far we go, no matter how many times we reject God's plan and say, I want to do something else, that He's never forsaken us. The passage I want to look at this morning is in Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible in front of you, I encourage you to open there. If not, the words will be on the screen. Uh, I've asked Jacob Spruill to come uh, and read the scripture this morning, not only as a representative of student ministry, um, but Jacob also is graduating from the Delaware Military Academy, which I thought was also appropriate for this weekend. So, Jacob, would you come and read for us? Good morning, church. Luke 15, Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Jacob. Will you pray with me? Father, we have the the opportunity and the privilege to be able to understand your word. God, I thank you for putting it in ways that, that we can understand. Father, we thank you so much for the freedom we have to be able to come to this place, to be able to open your word, to proclaim it loud. God, we thank you for the call that you've given us to not only do that within these walls, but to do that in our lives and in, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. 
Father, we pray now that these words would be your words, not my own. Help us to understand this passage for what it means. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, during the 14th century, there was a duke named Duke Reynold who ran what is now part of Belgium. And Duke Reynold had a younger brother named Edward, and Edward was convinced that he was supposed to be the one who ruled the kingdom, so he formed a coup and quickly overpowered his older brother. And after he had captured Reynold, he decided to build a room over him with windows and a normal doorway. And he told his brother, the day that you can walk out of this room, I'll give your title, your kingdom all back to you. The twist is, King Reynold, or Duke Reynold, was known to be an incredibly large man. And he couldn't fit through the doorway that was built. And his brother knew that he couldn't resist food, so every day he sent in delicious food to his brother. People would criticize him, saying, how can you treat him this way? And he said, my brother is free to go whenever he wants. He just hasn't chosen to do so. Ten years later, he's still in the room. He only gets his kingdom back because Edward died in battle. They had to dismantle the room to get Reynold back out. Duke Reynold only ruled a few months after that due to such poor health. Freedom was right there in front of him. But the price of freedom was way too much for him. It asked way more of him than he was willing to pay. Curtis gave me the opportunity to preach this morning as he's in between his, his studies. We've looked at the book of Philippians for the last several weeks. He's going to start a study on Esther. And looking at this weekend in particular, I thought this is a good time to look at what is freedom. What does the Bible say about freedom? What does our culture say about freedom? And what may be different about these two? And in this passage that Jacob read, we see a young man who dabbles in what freedom can look like. And he has several definitions of what this looks like. We're going to take a look at those. But we see three sections in this story. And we see how what we see as freedom, we really have bookends to that. We, we define our freedom by what we are freed from and what we believe we're freed for. So if somebody's looking for freedom from a medical condition... That's what they're hoping to be freed from. And they're hoping they're freed for the purpose of a longer, better quality of life. Somebody who's in a financial debt, they hope to be freed from that so that they can spend their money a different way. But we all have different things that we would long to be free from. And in this story in particular, we find this young man has a definition of freedom that is distorted. At the beginning of this story... He's hoping to be freed from any restrictions. And he's hoping to be freed to do whatever he wants. Let's take a look at that really quick. This is Jesus telling a story. So Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. While he had spent everything, 
A severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Currently, in this story, I think this young man would define freedom the exact same way our culture would define freedom. In fact, Webster's gives it this definition. Freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. In other words, without anyone telling me no, without anyone telling me that I'm wrong, and therefore without any consequences. Because if I'm not wrong, I have nothing to apologize for. Nothing to correct. It's incredibly dangerous to me when you can replace the word freedom with the word chaos and have the definition still fit. In chaos, we all get to do whatever we want, whenever we want, with no restrictions. This young man realizes that's a pretty unhealthy definition of freedom. We see a number of things described here that would fit us if we hold to this definition of freedom. First off, he's appointing himself as the highest authority. Notice what he immediately tells his father. Here's a man who has provided uh, guidelines for him, who he's worked for, he's lived with, but within a certain uh, list of here's how this works best for you. And what does the son say? He said, I realize I'm due an inheritance. I don't want to wait for it. I want you to give it to me now. And it's not in the form of just write me a big fat check. It's going, really, in order for me to get the inheritance, you need to die. So he's going to his dad saying, I don't want your authority anymore. I want it so gone from me to the extent that I want you to die. I want you completely removed. I don't want to just say you're dead to me. I want you dead completely. It's amazing to me that this is, he's going, I believe I know exactly what what I need to do for my life. I think I know what's right better than you do. This may sound like a teenager in your home. That I get it, I've been under the rules, I'm tired of that. And any restriction is, why are you trying to ruin my life? We see it's incredibly me-focused. Verse 12, he makes the request, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Nobody else exists in his world except himself. He desires things to be now rather than later. Verse 13 starts that not many days after getting what he wanted, he took off. He wants to be able to live it out right now. That what's coming down the road, that what may be a greater inheritance in 20, 30 years, I'm not worried about that. I don't care about tomorrow. I just want to deal with today. I want to get what I want to get today. There are zero restrictions. It says in verse 13, he squanders his property in reckless living. And we also see a descriptor that it takes him several failed attempts before he changes anything. So he has the whole inheritance and he squanders it. And then instead of going, maybe I messed up, maybe there was something wrong with them and the system, so I'm going to go try and hire myself out again and again and again. And he gets to a point where he's standing in a field with a bucket full of slop And that looks like a good dinner to him. You have to fail a number of times before you can get to that point. But it's going, what what is the result of this kind of thinking is that 
Something else must have wronged me because it was my freedom and my right to go do and spend what I wanted and it didn't turn out the way I wanted, so therefore you infringed on my rights. And so I tried something again and now you infringed on my rights because I didn't get what I want. And all of a sudden, I'm not just trying to find freedom, I'm living in a victim mentality because no one else is letting me do what I want to do. And I love, I absolutely love how verse 17 starts. But when he came to himself. So I picture him out in this field trying to figure out where he went wrong. Because when you're all about you, you end up in a field by yourself. And no one doing anything to help you out where he ends in verse 16. And as he's going back through, well, I tried this and it didn't work, and I tried this and it didn't work, and I tried this and it didn't work. He's looking for somebody to blame so it's not his fault. And he keeps trying to point fingers, and then when he came to himself, that's when it dawned on him. Maybe the problem with all these situations that have gone wrong in my life, the common denominator is me. So when he comes to himself, he realizes that the freedom he's been pursuing wasn't freedom at all. I love how Tim Keller puts it as we get into this next section of, of freedom being restored. Tim Keller had a quote, and it was the, what's the idea behind the slides, behind the whole idea of fish out of water, is he said, we need to recognize what we've been designed for. He says, a fish must honor his design. A fish is designed for water. Not for land. So a fish will learn very quickly that the ultimate freedom of getting out of the bowl is not freedom at all. Real freedom, as Tim Keller puts it, real freedom is finding the right restrictions. He goes on to use an illustration of a train. A train is free only so long as it stays on the tracks. A train that jumps the tracks is free of the rails, but no longer free in the most important sense of the word. It's a freed wreck that can't go anywhere. Free, but no longer truly free. We see in verses 17 to 24 that this young man begins to realize this. But when he came to himself, verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, I'll get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. Please treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. We just sung about that. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his definition of freedom looks a lot different. He would say at this point, what, I hope, what I'm hoping to be free of is sin. What I'm hoping to be free of is all these wrong decisions I've made. And what I'm hoping to be free for is now a healthy, growing relationship with my Father. I want that back. 
He said, freedom isn't being gone of restrictions. Freedom is being able to go, all these things that are weighing me down, all these things that are stopping me from honoring my Father joyfully, they got to go. That's freedom. It's dropping the weight. It's going anything that's, that's hindering me, any distraction on the road to following Jesus, on the walking daily with Jesus, anything that's going, hey, look over here. Hey, this is going to make you feel good. Hey, this is a smart decision. He's going, no, I want to stay focused on my Father. And I need to get as much of this stuff, I need to confess immediately so he knows what's most important to me is you and me. The description of what that freedom looks like is a complete 180 of what he just had. In verses 17 to 19, he recognizes God, the Father, as his highest authority. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Please, I welcome back your restrictions. I welcome back your guidelines because they weren't there to hinder me. They weren't there to ruin my life. They were there to protect me. They were there for my, my best interest. So when God is saying, don't do this and don't do this and stay away from this and caution about this, he's not saying, I want your life to have no fun. I want your life to not be enjoyable. He's saying, I, I realize the wreck that can happen when you jump those rails. Here's what's going to be the most successful. Here's what's the most freeing when you stay where you're supposed to be. And these things don't become weights and distractions. I was thinking of the concept of, of an inventor and his, and his product, what he has invented. That if I believe God, that freedom was God's idea, then wouldn't it make the most sense to be able to go, God, because you've given me freedom, what's the best way to use what you've given me? Right? If somebody came up with an amazing new machine... Wouldn't it make the most sense to have the person who invented it, who created it, to go, here's how to use this best? That's why we're given a manual, right? Here's what the owner, the, the, the creator would say, here's how this works most successfully. If God's given us freedom, he's given us an instruction manual to say, this is how to use this successfully. This is what I mean by this. His attitude is no longer me-focused. Notice the very first thing out of his mouth when he comes to himself. Verse 17, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? These were people that he didn't even know existed. These were people he could care less about. He didn't bother to learn their names. He wasn't worried about it. In his previous life, these were people that did things for his benefit. He only knew they existed. He only cared that they existed when he needed something and he wanted them to do it. He was so me-focused, they existed for his benefit. Now, that's the first people he notices. Who else in my father's house gets this way better than I do, that they understand this is what freedom looks like? All of a sudden, he's others-focused. He goes, they get this, this burden lifted off them. We got to experience that this summer in Canada. A, a great visual for us. When we ended out, headed out into the woods for a week, we were given a, a pack to put everything in it. We needed food, clothes, uh, survival gear, whatever it was, and the pack weighed 50, 60 pounds per person, and then you were joined with one person. That's right why we did a parent-teen trip. You were joined with one person in a canoe. And so as we went lake to lake to lake to get from one lake to the other, we had to carry everything across the trail and then get to the next lake. And a few of our students, Jacob Spruelbring, one, Matt Kazalka, Caleb Holloman, they had an idea. And it was a couple days in, when they get to the end of a lake and it was time to carry everything, they strapped their stuff on, they took the burden of the canoe off their dad, they put it on their shoulders, and they started running down the trail. 
Of course, as the youth leader, I'm like, well, there goes a sprained ankle. There goes some. We've got to carry him too. But it was amazing. They flew through the trail and got to the end. But when they got to the end, they didn't go, oh, I'm glad this burden is done. I'm going to sit here until the group comes back. They dropped the burden and turned and sprinted back toward us. And they said, me recognizing that this burden can be lifted off me is not just about me. It's about helping others see that this burden can be lifted off you. And that was such a visual the entire week that sort of sparked. So those three guys ran and helped three other people that came. They put the burden down. Now there's six. Six are running back down the trail helping other people grab stuff. Now there's 12. And this whole group, it was, we're not just going to take off in our own freedom. My freedom doesn't exist for me. My freedom exists so that I can help other people see that this weight can be lifted from you too. And he's starting to get this in this passage, that this, this whole idea of freedom has nothing to do with me. I've been freed for a greater purpose than that. He recognizes that there are God-ordained restrictions. Notice he doesn't say, please take me back as a son, I'm sorry. He says, please give me the same restrictions you've given your workers because that's what I need. That I see when I make the decisions, when I exercise my own rights and freedoms and privileges, I make bad decisions. I need those restrictions. He has an incredibly humble attitude. We see it in verse 21 again with saying those things to his father. I've sinned against heaven and against you. And instead of instant gratification, it's what I call marathon gratification. The father begins to to bring out and have his servants bring out a number of items for him. He sends one servant to say, go get a robe. Let everybody know this is an honored guest in our home. And in that culture, honored guests didn't have a three-day period where it was like, all right, it's about time you get going. Guests were welcome to stay as long as they wanted. And there was a joy for the host to go, this person, this honored guest, wants to stay in my home for a long time. So the father is going, get that robe, get it on him, let everybody know this is a joyful thing that he's coming and he can stay as long as he wants. But he said, also put a ring on his finger. That's a family ring. That's going, not not only is he in and he can kind of sit at a side table at dinner, like he is next to me. He is part of the family. This isn't going away anytime soon. And if we think in a culture where Jesus a number of times walked into a home, the first thing that was done was his sandals were taken off and somebody would wash his feet. Right, he mentions that when he sits down with the Pharisees when he said, I've shown up and nobody's done that, but here's a a weeping sinner who's wiping my feet with her tears. Notice the father, I didn't catch this till this week as I'm studying this, the father runs to the son, which is an unbelievable picture of grace. But he's running to his son and telling his servant as well, bring sandals, bring shoes for him, so that the moment he steps back into the house, There's a clear role definition between him and the servants. That they will get to take these off and clean his feet. And then they kill, he said, kill kill the fatted calf. This was a calf that you've been intentionally fattening for an incredibly honored guest that may come. So instead of instant gratification, him finding Joy and happiness is not in his own decision making. It's God going, I have all of this for you and over a long period of time. We see this definition of, of biblical freedom being the release from the control of sin for the purpose of delighting in my relationship with my liberator, with the one who set me free, 
Jesus Christ. Champ's already read a portion of Scripture about it. Galatians 5 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Do not use your freedom to indulge yourself. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.16, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Paul found real freedom in giving up his rights. In 1 Corinthians 9.19, he writes, For though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to win as many as possible. It's just like our students. Many said that week that men became boys that week. I'm sorry, the other way around. Boys became men that week. Because there was a reality that I'm not just here for me anymore. It was saying, I can set this burden down and now I want to go help other people carry a burden. But notice in this story that Jesus doesn't end the story here. If he did, this would be a nice like after school special Disney kind of ending right here, right? Like bad decision, came back home, was welcome, there's a party, woohoo, we're done. Jesus keeps going with the story. Because it's more than just one person's change regarding freedom. There's also someone who would reject or ignore this change. There's a freedom, as we've seen, that's distorted. There's a freedom restored. But now there's a freedom ignored. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. And he heard the music and the dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, What these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, notice he's disowned him already, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, for years growing up, I kept trying to justify this older brother. Because his story is my story. I grew up with a number of younger brothers in my life. Classmates, family members, cousins who said, I'm done with all the restrictions. I'm done with being told what to do. I'm going to run my own life. And I remember watching them make a bad decision and taking notes. Oh, I don't want to do that because that ended really poorly. I don't want to make that decision. Oh, I'm going to honor mom and dad. Let me jot that one down and underline it, bold it. And I began to kind of see everything else happening. And what I ended up seeing, what I ended up realizing is that my definition of freedom, a lot like this older brother, was that I've been freed from sin. I've always been in a relationship with the Father, or I've been in that for a long time. But what I was freed for became I was freed to get what I believe I deserved. And just like this young man, we see what that leads to. 
We see even though he had experienced and he knew the life of a growing relationship with the Father, he again fell back into being me-focused. Notice how angry he became at the word that his brother was back. He became incredibly judgmental. He was saying, that fatted calf, I deserve that. That was mine, not yours. I remember in high school having somebody make some really bad decisions in my youth group, and I remember taking note of it. And I remember going off to college and coming back my senior year and going, oh, let me go back to my, my church, my home church with my family. And, and the first person to greet me with a giant smile on his face was this kid that had made all these horrible decisions. And I remember how ticked off I was. I was so mad to kind of go, well, you blew it. Like, I've been working hard. Here's my whole list of stuff that I've been trying to do to get people that excited to see me, and yet here you are. It was incredibly judgmental. I felt incredibly entitled. Notice the list of stuff that he's rattling off to his dad. This is why I deserve that, not somebody else. It's an attitude that's dripping with bitterness. Notice how turned off to repentance he is. Somebody says, I've, I've, I've recognized how much I need God, how much I recognize the, the, the results of my sinful choices. He could care less. It's amazing to compare the previous verses where the prodigal son comes home, and as he's coming home, humbly, the father is running toward him. But notice in this situation with the older brother, Here's a guy going, I'm staying right here. I'm going to make dad come to me. I'm not moving. Perhaps there's somebody, there's been a situation in your own life where you've been hurt, you've been scarred. And you might not have said it out loud, but you may have said it in your head that it would take an act of God to move me. It's exactly what this guy's saying. That the father, you've got to come to me to change my heart. I'm that bitter. I'm that angry right now. The last descriptor of this kind of freedom is that there's a complete lack of forgiveness. And it's the only reference in here that I, I didn't necessarily give a verse to, even though it's dripping in this section. But take note where Jesus ends the story. Where is the older brother when Jesus concludes? He's still outside. He's not coming into the party at all. He's fine to stay in his bitterness and entitlement and anger because he believes he was freed from sin to now get what he has earned. It's not how grace works. What's amazing to me is as we've been looking at Luke 15, Luke 14 gives a parable from Jesus as well about a great banquet. And about a number of people that are invited to this banquet. And on the night of the banquet, Jesus goes, all right, let everybody in. And everybody who had gotten a ticket says, oh, I, could, I can't make it tonight. I got a hair appointment or I got to do my taxes or whatever. But there was excuse after excuse after excuse. And Jesus says, well, then go out and get anybody. We're having a party tonight and we're going to have people here that are going to celebrate with us. 
It's again describing there are a number of people that would say, I got my ticket, but I'm not coming in. I'm not celebrating that. Are we here just to be able to go, I've got mine, and I'm going to keep working hard to do what I hope I get in return? Or do we see that we are freed to help other people realize this burden can be lifted? So as we recognize our freedom, as we memorialize that this afternoon, tomorrow, I want you to think about your own freedom, not just as a citizen of the United States, not just as somebody who gets to live in this country, but think spiritually. What have we been freed from? And what are we freed for? And what changes does that make in how we live? Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this passage. God, I hate to say that I wrestle with this older brother too often. I see him in the mirror too often. God, allow us to be a church that celebrates your forgiveness. That, God, we can look past any of our own scars, that we can let those go. We can look past our own bitterness our own entitlement to say, yeah, I deserved this. God, allow us to see we don't deserve anything. God, allow us to always come before you humbly. God, we're so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful that that you ran toward us and embraced us and welcomed us into your family and said your burden is gone. God, perhaps there's some of us here who have never recognized that burden being lifted. We've been trying to do it on our own. We've been trying to say, I'm captain of my own ship, and I don't listen to anybody. God, help us to see that you have a plan and that you have certain restrictions not to weigh us down, but to help us live in the best life possible. God, perhaps we've recognized that freedom several years ago. But now we've grown old of that relationship. And we've started to see what things that perhaps we feel like we've earned. God, give us a humility. God, help us to see that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light to then be lights in other dark places. Father, we, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy, for, for calling us to be used in your great plan, in our own fallibility, in our own error. And yet you say, I want to use you. I want to send you out to where there's darkness. Because you can help them see that their burden can be light. Father, we praise you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.